Good morning once again, everyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're at. If you're visiting with us, we've been, I think this is like our 24th message within 1 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 25, and some of you may be going, hold it, we did verse 25 already. I know. So we're going to backtrack a little bit in order to make sense the argument Paul is making here to the church in Corinth. So we're going to be going from 25 through the end of the chapter this morning. Now, Paul wrote this text you know, 2,000 years ago, right? You know, uh, but I, I think it's interesting what he says if you look in verse 29, and we'll read through this whole thing in a second, but in verse 29, he says that time is short. Time is short. And we've been talking about following Jesus in a world that is fallen, that's broken, that is uh, crazy. And here today, Paul is completing a series of questions on, on marriage and singleness in light of here's this world that's passing away that, that he says in verse 29 there, hey, everyone, time is short. Time is short. And that got me thinking this week, and that's why we uh, said this section of Scripture together earlier in, in Psalm 90, where, where Moses, really the man of God, says, teach, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then further in that psalm, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of man. And it reminded me of a story I heard many years ago in 19, in, 19, <laughs> in 1734, 1734, Jonathan Edwards had to preside over the funeral of a young man, a teenager who had died two days before. Uh, it was a sudden fever that hit him and it was shocking to everyone in the community there, uh, the, the church and the community, and Jonathan Edwards went to Psalm 90, the psalm that we looked at earlier, verses 5 and 6, and in those verses, it talks, as we read, about the grass that flourishes in the morning, but in the evening is gone. And what he did was very interesting. He invited them to look at the face of the deceased young man in front of him who just two days before was flourishing with the beauty of life. And now he's dead. I remember vividly, I don't know how many years ago it was, when a young girl at the church that we worked at in Huntington Beach one night, got sick. I think she was five, if I was right, Jen. Four. And had an aneurysm in her throat and died. And the next week, you're in front of a casket 
with a little four-year-old. And I remember I got assigned as one of the pastors to stand next to the casket for the, the viewing. And it was, I was a train wreck. Because here's this little four-year-old girl that a few days earlier was vibrant and now had passed away. And it reminded me once again of this story. And, and Jonathan Edwards zeroed in really on the, the brevity of life. And the young people in the community were, were wailing and, and the grief for their friend, the shock of it. But you know what happened? It quickly turned to zeal. Zeal for the gospel. Zeal to Christ, to the Bible. And it began what's known as the Great Awakening. One of the greatest revivals that had happened, as far as we know, in, in somewhat modern history. And Jonathan Edwards wrote down all of these incredible things that happened, and it was published in England, and George Whitfield got a hold of it. And the revival spread over there in Europe in amazing ways, and it became known simply as the Great Awakening. And it all started in death. In death of a young guy and people realizing time is short. Time is short. As we look at our text today, Paul had already addressed a brief word to multiple groups, including those who were single, not yet married. And in this closing section of the chapter, he, he dives into greater detail into what he was saying earlier. And remember, the question was, must a Christian get married? And, you know, what about an unmarried woman in the church that was not getting any younger? And the flow of the argument here that Paul's doing, and in verses 26 through 29, he's, he's talking to them and, and then to married people, and he's telling them that they should see their statuses in different ways. And he says, if you remember, and if you look in there, he says, because of the present crisis, I think it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Uh, are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if, you are too, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And once again, going down to verse 29 there, what I mean, brothers, is that time is short. And that's really the run-up to everything that we're talking about today. And Verses 17 through 24, he's advocating, once again, as much as possible, people should remain in the life situation that they were in when they were called to become Christians. Don't always try to change your position, uh, improve your position, your earthly position in life. You know, your life does not need to be defined every single day by the question, how can I make my earthly life better? And he's saying, don't, don't think like that. Be content in the situation you are. He does say, if you can get out of being a slave, do so. If you can be free, be free. And we went through that last week. And he applies this general rule to the case of unmarried people. 
who, you know, people who had never been married. And he says to them to, to stay single if you can, if you're able to control your desires, if you're able to control and not burn with passion, as he said in this chapter, then stay single if you can. And if you remember, and we mentioned this last week, Paul gave his counsel as one who taught of the Lord. He asked them to consider several factors then when they made their decision about marriage. And that's where we start in verse 25 as we read through this in different sections. First, he's saying, consider the present circumstances. Verse 25, now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Verse 29 now. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. See, the time is short. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. What we know is it was a time of distress. We see that there in verse 26. Society was going through some sort of change. We see that in verse 31. There wasn't a lot of time left for serving the Lord, verse 29. And it's possible that there were political and economic pressures going on in Corinth about which we don't have information. And Paul is saying, in view of the difficulties, it would be better for a person to be unmarried. However, that did not mean that married people needed to seek a divorce in verse 27. Paul's counsel was to the unmarried here, and this did not mean that nobody should get married. But those who do marry must be ready to, and here we go, accept the trials that will accompany the marriage. In fact, the situation might become so difficult that even those already married will have to live as though they were not married, in verse 29. And so there is something to be said here that this could be Paul referring to husbands and wives having to be separated from each other because of economic distress or persecution. And Paul says that the present sufferings aren't even worth comparing, though, with the glory that's going to be revealed in the future because the time is short. The time is brief. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, these last days. Everyone that's a believer in here, you know, right, that these are the last days. It's been the last days for the last 2,000 years. 1 John 2.18 shortens it even more and says, this is the last hour. And what you get in the Gospels is a sense of urgency. 
the understanding of how life is short, very soon Jesus is going to come, amen? Three times in the final chapter of the final book of the Bible, it says, Behold, I am coming soon. And this is going to be very, very soon. And when you look around at what's going on in the world, you could make a case for this seems like very soon now. But what we're getting at here is that we, with faith in Christ, we need to have a faith perspective on this. We know something that non-Christians don't know. They don't get. We get the shortness of life. As Christians, we should get that. James 4:14, James says this, "What is your life? It's a mist, a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. But then he says, instead, You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live one more day and do this or that. That's the faith perspective. We understand that life is short, but we also understand one more day is a gift. One more day is a gift to serve the Lord. It's essential to the perspective, actually, of the unbeliever to think things, that are, to think things are always going to go on and on and on, and not, uh, not even hear things like Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed to each one of us to die once, and after that to face judgment. And so we need to understand and consider the present circumstances when we are making the decisions that Paul is talking about here and for any decision that we make. Secondly, he says also then to face the responsibilities of being married, of being single, honestly, in verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband." Verse 35, this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now, I want you to focus in on something that you may not have focused in on in that section. Go back to the first sentence of verse 32. I want you to be free from concern. 
Really, that's the emphasis of this whole paragraph here, concern. Some of your versions may say care. And what this word means is to, to be anxious, to be pulled in different directions. Let's play this out. It's impossible for two people to live together without burdens of some sort of kind for one or another. Marriage requires a measure of maturity, and, and age is no guarantee of maturity. Has anyone figured that one out? And Paul's emphasizing here living for the Lord. He's not suggesting that it was impossible for a man or a woman to be married and serve God uh, acceptably. In, in just a, he's, he's not saying that doesn't work. Because the truth is, is even amongst us in here, we know too many people who've done a great job at it for that to make sense. But what he is saying is that the married servant of God must consider his or her mate as well as the children that God may give them, and this could lead to distraction. It's a fact of history that John Wesley and George Whitfield had marriages that were tough. Whitfield um, traveled so much, his wife was left alone for long periods of time and had a really hard time with it. Wesley's wife left him. So... You get what Paul's saying there. But you also need to understand it is possible to please both the Lord and your mate. If you are yielded to Christ and obeying the word, many of us have discovered that a happy home and satisfying marriage are a wonderful encouragement in the difficulties of this world. There was a well-known Scottish preacher who was experiencing a great deal of public criticism because of a stand he took on a certain issue. That doesn't happen at all today, right? As Christians, we are taking stands now that 30 years ago wouldn't have seemed like any sort of big deal. So anyway, he takes this stand on this issue and almost every day there was a blast full blast of him in the newspapers and a friend met him one day and asked how in the world are you able to carry on in the face of that opposition this opposition you're getting and the man replied this pastor replied boldly I'm happy at home. I'm happy at home. A couple that's working for the Lord together. And that's one of the many things that I enjoy about the marriage I have with Jenny. She's awesome. She's a godly wife. And the focus we then have together is on serving the Lord. But 
If you are not married and you are a believer, you need to examine your hearts, is what Paul's saying, and see if marriage will help or hinder that ministry. You need to be careful to marry Christians who feel the same call to serve God in your marriage. You get it? We each have our own gift from the Lord and calling from God and must be obedient to His Word, but if we are to be married to each other, we need to join those together, as it says in Scripture, become one flesh and serve Him together. And so we need to understand the responsibilities that we have in marriage and in singleness. And that leads us to verse 36 as Paul dives into a very specific, unique situation. Because each situation is unique. Verse 36 is confusing to many people. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. And the danger is, is you can't read that verse without reading the next few verses to understand what it's saying. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no compulsion, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. And so this is now a specific situation that Paul's talking about here of uh, someone that's of marriageable age insisting that they must be treated honorably whether they become married or not. The he in this verse, the he in this verse has been suggested to be the father of the virgin or the man who is engaged to her. Both of those Interpretations are valid there. In ancient times, a father arranged the daughter's marriage. But when you read this all the way through, more than likely the he refers to the man that's considering the possibility of marrying his fiance. Paul is teaching that if the situation in Corinth seems to be unfair and un, you know just what's good whatever's going on to this particular person this girl especially if she is passing her prime marriage years then the fiance should go ahead and marry her and there's no sin in getting married and that's what's going on there in verses 30 and 37 38 the man who feels no need to get married has done the right thing too the words under no compulsion, refer to an outward pressure to marry. Such might come from some prior engagement contract at the time or the pressure of a master to a slave at that time. And Paul favors that, you know, in this case, do not marry. And, and so in the spirit of this chapter, Paul is saying, if you marry, you do well. But if you can stay single, you do better. 
For the person with the gift of singleness, they will do better if they stay single. And then finally, he states, remember that marriage is for life. In verse 39, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband has fallen asleep, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. It is God's will that marriage, that marriage union be permanent, a lifetime commitment. It is important to state once again, because our culture is so different than this, that there is no place in Christian marriage for a trial marriage. There's no room for the escape hatch marriage. You know, kind of that if the marriage doesn't work, we can always get a divorce. And for this reason, marriage needs to be built on something sturdier than, than looks and money and uh, romantic excitement, social acceptance. There needs to be Christian commitment, character, and maturity. There needs to be a willingness to grow, to learn from each other, to minister to one another. The, the kind of love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13 is what is needed to cement two lives together. And Paul closes the section by telling the widows that they're free to marry, but only in the Lord. And this means that they must not, uh, they must not marry unbelievers. But also, they need to be marrying in the will of God. And I think it's important for us to realize as we close this section of this book that deals with singleness and marriage, that first of all, God has put walls around marriage. And it's not walls to make it a prison. It's walls to make it a safe fortress. The person who considers marriage a prison, guess what? Should not get married. When two people are, are lovingly and joyfully committed to each other and to the Lord, the experience of marriage will be one of enrichment and a growth in the relationship with Him. They grow together, discover the richness of serving the Lord as a team, as I said earlier in their home, and the church. And as you review this chapter, you cannot help but be impressed with something. You know what that is? This stuff's serious. Being single or being married is equally serious. And you should not, you cannot disobey God's word. And when you disobey God's word, what happens? Pain. Suffering. Sorrow. A mess. And while both Paul and Jesus do leave room for divorce under certain conditions, it is not God's first choice for a couple God hates divorce, as it says 
in the Old Testament, and certainly no believer should consider divorce until all avenues of reconciliation are explored. Application. If you are here today and you are not a believer, may I share with you what I said at the beginning? Time is short. Life is short. And it's so easy to focus on the things of this world and miss having that relationship with Jesus Christ. And if God gives you the gift of faith, run to Jesus. Time is short. Run to Jesus while there's time. Flee to Christ. And if you need to talk with us about what does it mean to follow Jesus, what does it mean to accept Him in my heart, after the service, we'd love to talk with you. Write down on your a card saying, love to talk this week about that. And we will set up a time and we will walk through that. And for those of us who are already Christians, let's wrap this up for us. Understand the wisdom of this chapter. You know what he's saying, everyone? Look at everything in your life from an eternal perspective. Look at your marriage and say, how can we be a married couple living for God now? with a perspective towards eternity because time is short. Understand that your marriage is temporary. And answer the question, how can we best make the most of this brief time we have together for the glory of the Lord? And when you live that way, it changes everything, doesn't it? It, it really, whether you're single or married, it, it, it changes everything to have that eternal perspective in every condition. You know, you, you caught there, uh, it, it, Paul says, you know, if you buy something, well, am I buying this for the Lord? How can I make the best use of what I'm buying for eternity? And if it doesn't fit for that, maybe the answer is what? I should let it go. I should not buy it. Because you know what? One day, whatever that is, is going to be destroyed. But God does give us the resources to attain things to use for what? His glory. And what we need to ultimately do in all of this, everyone, is what can I do with my life so I can best live for eternity that's coming soon? 
What can I do with my life so I can live best the maximum force of my life for the glory of the Lord for eternity? Based off of the gifts and talents that God has given me, whether I should be single or remain married or get married, what can I do or we do if we're married with the life that God has given us so that we can live for eternity and everything that we do give glory to the Lord so that more people can know Him and that those that are around you that are believers grow in Him. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You for this teaching that Paul gives teaching that was inspired by you, given by the Spirit, to show us your way, your truth, life in you. Thank you for these words that are so relevant many years later, but still so important to remember that time is short. Lord, Help us to make the best use of our lives for you.